Please turn in your Bibles, if you would, to the book of Exodus. Should be familiar to you now, Exodus chapter 20, as we are going relatively slowly through this chapter as we go through each of the Ten Commandments in turn. And this evening, our text is a bit longer than it has been. It's verses 8 through 11 of chapter 20. The fourth commandment. If you would please give attention to the reading of God's holy word. For the word of the Lord is completely sufficient. The word of the Lord is completely authoritative. And the word of the Lord is completely inerrant. Exodus chapter 20, beginning at verse 8. Remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. Six days you shall labor and do all your work. But the seventh day is a Sabbath to the Lord your God. On it you shall not do any work. You or your son or your daughter, your male servant or your female servant, or your livestock or the sojourner who is within your gates. For in six days the Lord made the heavens and the earth, the sea and all that is in them, and rested on the seventh day. Therefore the Lord blessed the Sabbath day and made it holy. Thus far the reading of God's holy word. Let's pray for his blessing upon us. Lord, we ask this evening that you would open up your word to us. That you would teach us what you have done. That you would teach us the great blessings that are ours in Christ. That we would seek to rest in Christ. This we ask in Christ's precious name. Amen. When I was a good bit younger, my children were small. My wife was an all-star garage sailor. She used to, like so many people, go from place to place and find items at garage sales, and incredible bargains, and things that were very useful, you wondered why anyone was selling them. And occasionally, she would find something that was interesting that didn't look that good at first. I remember that she brought home some chairs, and they were pretty ugly looking. But the reason they were ugly looking is because they had all this paint globbed on top of them. And she said to me, don't worry about it. I'm going to strip all of this paint off. And you see, when it's done, there are going to be beautiful chairs underneath. And now, you know me and working around the house. I didn't believe her. And I, I certainly wasn't about to strip the paint myself. I would have just bought new chairs. But she dutifully took these chairs out, stripped all layer after layer of paint and gunk. And lo and behold, beautiful solid wood chairs. Now, why do I tell you this story besides wanting to brag on my wife? It's because I think when we come to the fourth commandment and the Lord's day, we have a situation much like a beautiful chair layered over with gunk and paint. We don't appreciate the beauty of this commandment. Because there's been layer after layer after layer of tradition and false teaching and false expectation put upon it. 
So what I'd like to do this evening is to go to the text, to go to Exodus chapter 20, and to strip away that varnish, that off-colored paint, and to let us see the beauty of this commandment. The first thing that I would like us to see is the blessing in the commandment. This commandment is a blessing to us. And it has a unique structure. You may notice this is the first positive commandment. It is a positive commandment. Remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. The first three commandments are negative. You shall not, you shall not, you shall not. So this is the first positive command that comes to us. It is also the longest commandment. It's much longer than all of the others, especially commandments 6, 7, 8, and 9. And so this is unique. It draws our attention to it. But the context of this commandment, we cannot forget. You remember... Up until this point, Israel has been in slavery in Egypt. They come out of Egypt by the power of God. And they are now here at the mountain to worship God. And God brings them His law. Now, you cannot lose this context. Because the Israelites have been in Egypt for generations. In which they have never had a day off. Not one. If you're anything like me, if you go five or six or seven months without being able to work a vacation in, I get a little bit cranky because I expect to have a break, a breather, to put aside my work, to refresh myself so that I can go back with renewed energy. Not the Israelites. They had no yearly vacation. They had no weekend. They had no breaks. They were slaves. Day upon day, Week upon week, month upon month, year upon year, generation upon generation, they worked. And that's all they had. And now they come to the Lord their God and the mountain, and He gives them His law. And His law says, in my land, everyone must have seven and a half weeks of vacation a year. What a turnaround. Does that make you think about this commandment a bit differently? How gracious God is in giving it to the Israelites and to us? It is for our good. And this is not something that was invented here in Exodus chapter 20. This is a creation ordinance. We'll see in just a bit that God hearkens back to creation in establishing the Sabbath. But... The Israelites had already experienced this. You may recall as we went book, uh, excuse me, chapter by chapter, verse by verse through the book of Exodus, that back in Exodus 16, when God brought manna from heaven, the manna from heaven came down six days a week, not seven. Why? Because that seventh day, they were to rest. God provided manna, Twice the number on the day before. Because in verse 23 of chapter 16, tomorrow is a, is a day of solemn rest, 
a holy Sabbath to the Lord. Bake what you will bake and boil what you will boil and all that is left over lay aside to be kept till the morning. I'm a simple man. But it seems to me that 16 comes before 20. And so what we have here is we have a reference to the Sabbath, to the Lord's Day, to this command to rest before the Israelites even come to the mountain. And I think this is important because I think sometimes the reason that we lay aside this command, that we think it is of no use to us, is we think it's only a particular place and time. It's for the theocratic kingdom of Israel. It starts at Sinai and ends with that kingdom. But that's not what Exodus tells us. It's a creation ordinance. Now, the other thing that I think is important for us is to see that this begins positively. Look at verse 9. Six days you shall labor and do all your work. We assume we know what the fourth commandment is all about, that it's negative. We think it begins with a negative. You can't do this. You can't do that. You can't do the other thing. But that's not how the commandment begins. It begins on a positive note. Six days you shall labor and do all your work. Verse 8, keep holy the Sabbath. This day is primarily about a commitment to God. It's not about idleness, but it's rather a clearing of the day of ordinary things so that we can have our focus be upon the Lord. It is a unique opportunity for blessing. And we forget this. The Israelites forgot this. Isaiah had to come to the Israelites in chapter 58 of his prophecy and say it was a peculiar day of delight. They had been blessed with the Sabbath. It was a blessing to them. This commandment also positively affirms the proper nature of work in six days. It affirms the goodness of of work. We need to be reminded of that each and every day that work is not punishment. Now, work is harder because of sin. We see that all the way back in Genesis chapter 3 that God tells Adam that it is by the sweat of his brow that he will farm, that he will produce. But we forget that Adam was called to work before the fall. This commandment reiterates that. Work is not a punishment. And so we don't think about our work and God commanding us to work and the nature of the fourth commandment. Let me ask you this. Have you thought about how you will serve God on Tuesday or Thursday? The fourth commandment gives you guidance. You work. Now, what fields you labor in may vary. You may be a student. You may be a homemaker, you may be an engineer, you may be a doctor, you may be a lawyer, you may be a construction worker, but you work. That's how you honor God. That's what this commandment tells us. And this positive nature of the command reminds us of the attitude that we are to bring to this commandment. We so often obsess about what we can't do. When what we should be thinking about is what we should do. Now, why is that? That's because I think it is so much easier to be critical than to act. 
It's easier to be the one who stands on the sidelines and pokes and points out all of the difficulties and the problems rather than to simply act and obey. But then the second thing that I want us to see here is the protection in the commandment. And this is taken up with the negative aspect of the command that is made explicit in verse 10. But the seventh day is a Sabbath to the Lord your God. On it you shall not do any work. And so it is explicit. God says that we are to cease from work. But more importantly, I think, the ceasing from work is to cease from self. It's not just about production. It's about ceasing from our own needs and desires and putting all of our focus on the Lord. And what this means is we have a day in which our everyday lives do not interrupt our works of mercy and of piety. And if I can put it this way, what God is telling us is to put aside good things for a time, to focus on him. Because he is better than the good things. The best thing we can do is to focus on the Lord our God. And he wants to make sure that in the hustle and bustle of life, we do not lose that focus. It's far too easy, isn't it? Especially in our ever-connected world. You know, we have a saying for it. We talk about being 24-7. I can remember a day, not that long ago, when I was first beginning as a lawyer, and I had a friend who had this machine. It was called the BlackBerry. And he could get his email on this machine. And I thought, wouldn't that be extraordinary? Because in order to answer email and to work, I have to be sitting at my desk, at my computer, and working. And I remember that it was difficult to send documents back and forth. We had to use fax machines and messengers and Federal Express. And if you didn't get things done by a certain time, you had to wait till the next day. And I thought, wouldn't it be good to have this at the touch of my hand? Well, I have it now. Be careful what you wish for. Because your email and your text messages light up at 1 a.m. Or 11 p.m. Or 5 a.m. And you get a 5 a.m. email, and by 6, they say, why haven't you answered? I sent that to you an hour ago. We have no break from the world. It's constantly bombarding us. God knows this. He knows who we are. And so he has said to you, you need a day to set aside those cares and concerns. You need to be refreshed. You need to think about eternal things. You need to know why you do everything you do the other six days of the week. You do them that you might serve me. It's not for your own purposes. It's so that you might serve me. And God is extremely practical here. It is no surprise to me that the two longest commandments are the second commandment and the fourth commandment. They are the two commandments that have been most widely jettisoned by the Christian church. If you ask someone how many commandments they are, there are. Or better, better yet, ask the average evangelical, how many commandments should be hung in the courthouse of the town? 
they will say 10. And when you read them off to them, they'll say, well, that one doesn't really apply anymore. No, you don't, this second commandment doesn't, no, this fourth commandment, that, that's done away with. So God gives us great detail. He knows that we are professionals at finding loopholes. And do you see how he gives us this command in verse 10? He says, the seventh day is a Sabbath to the Lord your God. On it you shall not do any work. Now that should have been sufficient, right? But he goes on. Not you. Not your son. Not your daughter. Not your male servant. Not your female servant. No, not even your animals. Because see, God knows that we would find a loophole. I can't work, but I guess I can make my son work for me. Well, my animals have to work, so I have to help them work, so I have to work because my animals are working. No, God says, no, there's no need for anyone to work on this day. Let me be very clear. It applies to everyone, your whole family, your servants, even foreigners. God knows the excuses that we will bring. And so because of this, it requires forethought of us. It puts our mind on God on other days. Let me give you just one example. When I was a student at Reformed Theological Seminary, I was the regular uh, preacher supply at a small church in Chula, Mississippi. It was about an hour and a half-ish from our house. And there's two things you need to make that trip. A car and gas in your car. And if I didn't think to buy gas the day before, I was in a boatload of trouble. Because if I only had a couple of gallons in the tank, that wouldn't be enough to get me up and get me back. And then I would have to buy gas on Sunday, on the Lord's Day. I would have to make someone else work. I would have to engage in commerce that I didn't want to do in seeking to follow the fourth commandment. So what the fourth commandment made me do was think about God and worshiping him and serving him the day before. I had to be prepared. That's true for you as well. As you plan out your week, you look forward to worship on the Lord's Day and setting aside the cares and concerns of the world. And that means taking care of them, as the fourth commandment says, the other six days a week. This is a real challenge for us in our busy schedules. It's especially a challenge for students. Because students are used to treating one day like any other and they just roll one into the next. But have you thought about getting your assignment done early so you can rest on Sunday? Not to keep a legalistic command, but because I know how hard it is to be a student. You need a break. You need an opportunity to push back from the desk, to put the papers down, and to simply rest. And God tells you, in my land, you rest. Take this day and rest in me. Now, our Lord Jesus Christ thought this command was important. The interesting thing is that he spoke more about this commandment than any other in the Gospels. On six occasions, we read of controversies between our Lord and others about the fourth commandment. And on two of those occasions, they are 
repeated or parallel accounts in all three of the Synoptic Gospels. Now compare that, for example, to Jesus' teaching on marriage or on murder, which he only teaches on once. Jesus thinks that this is important for his people. And if this commandment was something that was no longer of any use, Jesus had the opportunity to repeal it, but he did not. You remember in Mark chapter 2 that the Pharisees criticized the disciples of Jesus because they were going through the fields, gleaning stalks and eating, and they said according to their man-made law that that was harvesting, that they were working, and that they were breaking the fourth commandment. Now, if the fourth commandment were no longer abiding because Christ had come, Christ would have just turned to them and said, don't you know I've done away with that? Don't you know that this is no longer applicable? But instead, Jesus says to them, Stop putting layers on my commandment. Stop slapping paint on my item of beauty. He says, according to Deuteronomy 24, they are not harvesting. God put that specifically in his word, that you could go through the field and glean, and that was not harvesting. It was not work. And then he, of course, tells them that the Sabbath was made for man, not man for the Sabbath. It's because we need this rest that our Lord affirms it. And so as you approach this commandment, I want to encourage you to treat it like other commandments. You know, often I think we approach the fourth commandment and we say, you know, this is just so hard. I've got to do laundry. I've got to mow the lawn. I've got projects in front of me. It's just so hard, God can't possibly expect me to keep this commandment. Now think about if you looked at the other commandments that way. You know, it's really hard to keep the commandment, you shall not murder. You know, Jesus tells us that taking someone, insulting someone, yelling at them is breaking that commandment. You know, we do that all the time in traffic. We become angry. We, we call people names that we shouldn't. This is common in our society. So because it happens all the time, I guess, you know, if we murder two, three, four people, it's not that big of a deal, right? We could kill a couple of people. God can't expect us to keep this command. Or you shall not steal. We think of all of the ways in which that commandment governs us from stealing time to stealing things that are small and ordinary. And we... Don't say to ourselves, you know what, if I knock off a bank or two, you know, that's not that big of a deal. God will forgive me. It's just so hard to keep this commandment. And yet we come to the fourth commandment and we say, because it's so hard for me to keep, it must not count. It must not abide. And then the other thing that we come up with is, we come up with these series of impossible hypotheticals. Well, what if my wife went into labor? and I didn't have gas in a car, and I had to get to the hospital or she would die. Are you telling me, Pastor, I can't fill up with gas then? No, that's not what I'm saying. That would be the equivalent of you telling your children, go clean the garage, and they said, Dad, you know, it's very possible terrorists could attack any moment now and blow up our garage. Why should I bother cleaning it up when they could blow it up and it wouldn't be needed at all? 
That's the kind of ridiculous efforts we go to to get out of obeying God's word. But perhaps even more applicable is our tendency to add man-made laws to God's word. We add our word to God's word. That's what the Pharisees did over and over again. The commandment is clear, you shall not work. And the Pharisees took it upon themselves to define what work was. And they tried to define it in great detail. And you can guess it, the way they defined it made clear that they never worked. But others did. Because they set up the structure around the commandment. And then, I think finally, we don't want to use this commandment in unintended ways. What do I mean by that? Let me tell you, you can break the fourth commandment by reading your Bible. What? Pastor, are you serious? Sure, let me give you an example. Let's say that you were at home with your wife and you have a young child, a baby, and you are sitting in your chair reading your Bible on the Lord's Day and your wife is trying to uh, get dinner on the table, and the baby is crying, and she says to you, could you please change the baby so that we can then eat and get together? And you say, honey, it's the Lord's Day. I'm resting here, sitting here reading my Bible. You can't expect me to work. You'll have to take care of that. I, I can't work on the Lord's Day. I've got to stay here and read my Bible. Now, that sounds preposterous. But we do these sorts of things all the time. We make up excuses to avoid the commandment. The third and final thing that I want us to see this evening is the purpose of the commandment. Why did God give this commandment? It's clear that he's given it to us. It's clear that it has a positive and a negative aspect, like all of the commandments. But why does he do this? Well, I think we see this in verse 11. For in six days the Lord made heaven and earth the sea and all that is in them, and rested on the seventh day. Therefore, the Lord blessed the Sabbath day and made it holy. Now, you know what's coming, don't you? There's a therefore. What's the therefore, therefore? What's the previous sentence? The Lord blessed the Sabbath day. Why? Read the previous sentence. Because he made heaven and earth and all that is in it in six days. Now, God didn't need to give us a reason for this commandment. He doesn't give us a reason for several of the other commandments. He just says, you shall not steal. You shall not murder. But here he gives us a reason. And that's because this commandment is in line with a pattern given by God. All the way back in Genesis chapter 1, verse 31, God labored six days and then rested. And we follow the Lord in that pattern. Now let me ask you this. You may be thinking, Pastor, you don't know how busy I am. You don't know how important I am at work. You don't know how much people depend on me. I can't take a whole day off and do nothing. Are you more important than God? I don't think so. I can't think of anyone who's more important than God who has more to do than God. He created the entirety of the universe. And yet he rested. He gave us that pattern. But that pattern is also to show our relationship with God. This was how man was designed to be. 
God calls upon us to follow His pattern. Because what He has done is a pattern for us. We see this in Exodus chapter 31, verses 12 through 17. The Lord said to Moses, You are to speak to the people of Israel and say, Above all you shall keep my Sabbath. For this is a sign between me and you throughout your generations, that you may know that I, the Lord, sanctify you. Do you see how God puts this? It's not just do this because it's the thing to do. It's because this command is a sign of the relationship between you and me. You shall keep the Sabbath because it is holy for you. Six days shall work be done, but the seventh day is a Sabbath of solemn rest, holy to the Lord. Therefore, the people of Israel shall keep the Sabbath. It is a sign forever between me and the people of Israel that in six days the Lord made heaven and earth, and in the seventh day he rested and was refreshed. This commandment shows our relationship with God. But it also shows that we're human. It shows man's need for God, that we have a need for rest. God repeats this command again in Exodus chapter 23, verse 12. Do you see how often God refers to this command? Just in the book of Exodus, three times. Six days you shall do your work, but on the seventh day you shall rest, that your ox and your donkey may have rest, that the son of your servant woman and the alien may be refreshed. And what is interesting here is there are three verbs that Moses uses here. He uses rest twice and refreshed. And there are two different Hebrew verbs for rest here. The first is a stopping, a ceasing. Shabbat is the Hebrew word. It's where we get Sabbath from, a stopping. And what God is saying here is, on this seventh day, you shall stop. Take a break. So what that means is, ladies, if there is laundry piled to the ceiling on the Lord's day, you rest in Jesus. It'll be there on Monday. Don't wear yourself out. Take a break on Sunday. But Moses also uses a second word for rest. The Hebrew word is nuach, and it's the verb that we get the noun name Noah from. It means a resting, a repose, a resting comfortably. Proverbs talk about, talks about wisdom resting in the heart of man. And so we are not just to cease from doing things, we are to rest. You know the difference, don't you? You can stop working for a bit to take a break. But when you rest, you kick off your shoes. You relax. You allow yourself to put aside the cares before you. And then the third verb that Moses uses is, may be refreshed. And you will remember that that is also used of God himself in Exodus 31 that we just looked at. God himself was refreshed on that seventh day. And this is a verb that is related to the Hebrew word for soul, nefesh. We refresh our souls in the Lord 
on the Lord's Day. There's a wonderful illustration of this in the life of David. You may remember when David is out with his mighty men on the run from Saul, and there is a wicked man named Shimei. And he takes it upon himself to make it his personal mission to chase David and badger him with insults. And David's men say to him, Lord, let me go up there and take that man's head off from his shoulders. Does he know who he's talking to? And David says, no. No. The Lord has sent him to bring a message to us. And then... David and his men reach the Jordan River and they leave Shimei behind. And the text tells us that David is refreshed. The burden has been relieved from him. Brothers and sisters, the world is a burden on your shoulders. Work, school, all of the things that are before us, that we have to do day upon day, we're on a treadmill. You need to be refreshed in the Lord. That's what God calls us to. And this commandment requires us to trust God. Because there is a loss of potential earnings that would be problematic for those who do not work on the seventh day, who do not work on the Lord's day. But this obligation we have does not mean that this is not a gracious command on the part of our Lord. For example, marriage is a privilege that carries with it obligations, such as loving one's spouse, but it is a gracious privilege that we have. We have to trust the Lord. And then finally, this commandment shows us God's mercy and His evangelistic purpose in life. When we show mercy to others within the family, within our communities, we show the love of God. And far too often, I think we could say to ourselves, I don't have time to go visit a nursing home. I don't have time to speak to someone on the phone. I don't have time to pray for someone. Yes, you do. You have one day in seven. God has given you a day to show mercy and grace to others around you. To put aside the daily grind and focus on the Lord Jesus Christ. To show the character of God to others. So in conclusion, what does this commandment mean for you today? Three brief statements. First, focus upon God, not yourself. Second, focus upon others, not yourself. And then thirdly, look at this commandment from a mindset of obedience rather than a mindset of criticism. Like all of these other commands, it is given to us for our good. I think sometimes we fail to realize what the world would be like without God's law. Would you really want to live in a world where stealing was the norm? Where murder happened every day, everywhere? Well, the question now is, would you really want to live in a world where you weren't able to rest? To rest in God. 
Praise be to God, He hasn't given us such a world. He's given us His Word. And His Word comes to us today practically to rest in Him. Let's pray.